Malachi chapter 2, verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner, and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jesse. And uh, I really, uh, I, I really like the last song we did. The second song. It was, uh, it was one that Will has just recently written, and so um, just excited we get to sing that. Uh, great to see you all tonight. Uh, and again, I know that um, I kind of feel like Tuesdays are. I mean, they're obviously. I'm a little biased. They're like my favorite night of the week. Um, I love, I love Tuesday nights. Uh, but I know that as it gets darker earlier, and as like 400 goes haywire, and um, you know all the things happen, it's easy to be like, I'll just catch it next week. But you didn't. And so part of my hope, and I, I think it's caught up in some of the prayers that have already been prayed tonight, is that the Lord honor will honor that. Like this commitment, this sacrifice, you could be doing something else. And so I'm just glad that you're here. And I hope that he blesses you with the fellowship of believers. I've prayed that some of you who are not yet believing in Jesus, trusting in him, that tonight would be the night that, that you would do that. Um, that, uh, that if there's a stronghold in your life that you just can't seem to shake or don't even have the, the will to let go of it, that God would free you and that you would walk in freedom. And so uh, we're going to look at kind of, an, uh, in some ways, if you're a Bible scholar, like this is like, um, especially chapter three, the first, first couple of verses, like it'll be familiar. But for the most part, we, um, we kind of skip past Malachi. We know that um, he's a prophet, but like, let's get to the New Testament. I mean, we're only like a page and a half away. Um, and so uh, I'm just glad that you're here and that I'm glad we're studying this part of the Bible. Here's, here's what we're going to do. Since Jesse just read it, I won't reread you the whole passage. But some of the ideas that I think you're going to see wrapped up in these, in these few verses, chapter 2, verse 17, through chapter 3, verse 5, I think you're going to see um, unanswered prayers hinted at, um, discussed. I think you're going to see justice. I think you're going to see a big one. I used to think that when I was like 24, like when I turned like maybe 28, like this would go away. Um, but like God's timing, God's timing, I think it, it's something that we just, I don't think we ever get used to his timing. And his timing is in here. Um, we'll see bad people succeeding. And then there's this big question 
And it's in the last few verses of this book, this short little book. And the Lord, without using the name Jesus, asks the question, is he enough? And so it's a, it's a really packed passage. Um, and, uh, and so let me just pray that we will hear from the Lord and that we'll begin to trust his timing and his goodness. And so, Lord, we ask that. We ask that as we look at your word tonight, that you would help us to trust your timing and your goodness. And that, Lord, miraculously, because it is miraculous, it, the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And you're the only one that can bring us to life. And so it is miraculous. And we ask for this miraculous thing to happen, that we would rest in the reality that Jesus is enough. And I mean rest no matter what is happening in our lives, Father. And so we lift this up. It's a big prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so we're going we're gonna to just dig in. And so what we're going to actually do, um, <clears throat> I was listening to, uh, I, you know, I, 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 I'm doing like some seminary classes um, that don't count, and I paid for them. Like you don't get any degree. I have a seminary degree. I'm not really looking to collect another one. Um, but like I was like, I kind of want to. I kind of want to dip my toes back into the educational water and just continue to learn. It's always always good to be a lifelong learner. And uh, and so as I was doing this, I was going through this like this. These folks have done like how to read the Bible and gone through like every book of the Bible, and they do like five to ten minutes on each book of the Bible. And so I was just playing Bible roulette, and I was like, let's hear about Ezekiel. Let's hear about Jude. Let's hear about. And then I was like. There's no way you can cover all 150 Psalms and how to read the Psalms in like seven minutes or whatever they had. And I was like, let's try it. And so I hit it and they said something so good. It was so good. They said, you know, the, the Psalms, and I think some of this apocalyptic literature is like this as well. You can't do this with everything, but sometimes you can take a Psalm, read the Psalm and see if you can read it backwards. Like start with the last verse and then the next to last and kind of work your way back and you'll start to see patterns in some of the Psalms. And so uh, I was, that was fresh in my mind and I was like, what if we started in verse five? And so if it doesn't work, we won't do that next week. Um, but let's just, let's just start in, uh, let's, let's start in verse five tonight. Let's do this. And so this is the last verse that Jesse read. And, uh, and Che, I've got it on my, on my iPad. I don't know if you, like, there we go. Thank you. Um, that's just an audible that I'm calling because I don't know that I communicated that. Uh, but here's, here's what's going to happen in verse 5. We're going to see that God is going to, to bring judgment and he's going to bring judgment against the unjust. So let's just look at it. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. Not usually, typically the prayer that we pray, God draw near to me for judgment. Um, and it's not a prayer they're praying. It's what God's saying he's going to do. I'm going to draw near to you for judgment. And I will be a swift witness against, and then he says several groups. He says, I'll be a swift witness against And we're back. Uh, <clears throat> sorcerers and adulterers. It's mood lighting, y'all. We played Inner Sandman at church tonight. I don't know that, like, I was out of the room when that happened. I did say it jokingly. I was like, I love Inner Sandman. Um, like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with the lights. But anyway, um, so, oh, when the lights come back on, this is another plug for December 5th. Like Christmas dance. It's going to be amazing. 
when the lights come back on, they do have to like reset and they do all that stuff that you just, if somebody's listening to this on the podcast, they've totally turned it off. <laughs> they're, like, they're like, I'll get next week's. Um, okay, so he's gonna be a swift witness. The Lord's gonna have to redeem this. I, I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, um, the widow and the fatherless, that's the vulnerable, and against those who thrust aside the sojourner, also the vulnerable. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Now, I, um, I think that this is, judgment is not something we spend a lot of time thinking about, at least not our own judgment. We do, though, think about the judgment of others. We definitely think about them being judged. We kind of hope for it sometimes. Even if we don't have the theological terms to put it around, like you, you could just be a total, um, a total pagan and say, like, I want them to get theirs. Like we think about other people's judgment. Uh, we don't think about ours very often. And I think the reason we don't think about ours very often um, is because there's this interesting verse. I don't have it up on the screen, but I'll just tell it to you if you're taking notes. Ecclesiastes 12, 14, the last verse in the book of Ecclesiastes. Such an interesting way for the wisest man in the world to end his book. He says, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And so like when I think about somebody else's is judgment, I think about that. I think about there's a, a common expression that we, we use to summarize Numbers 32, uh, 23, um, that your sin will find you out. That, that phrase, your sin will find you out, comes from Numbers 32, 23. Um, I, Will and I were talking last week about how good it is to read verses in like different translations. And, uh, and so I'm kind of like a, I'm like a Eugene Peterson fan when it comes to the message. Like I think like, man, how does one person like know Greek and Hebrew and like translate the Bible? And so if you don't like um, the message, that's fine. There's other translations out there. But um, I, think it's, I think it's so interesting to read. In the message, Malachi 3.5 says this, yes, I am on my way to visit you with judgment. I'll present compelling evidence against sorcerers, adulterers, liars, those who exploit workers, those who take advantage of widows and orphans, those who are inhospitable to the homeless, anyone and everyone who doesn't honor me, a message from God of the angel armies. Do you see the last, the last words in, uh, in this verse? The Lord of hosts. When you see Lord of Host in your Bible, and most of the, most of the more um, precise translations are gonna translate it to Lord of Host, that is the Lord of the angel armies. When he signs off as that, he's left the Hallmark store. He's not there anymore. Like this is like, we're serious. And, and this, is, this is a big deal. This is the heavy hitting hand of God. This is a judgment passage. And that's what a lot of these prophetic books are. They're, they're, they're passages of judgment, trying to compel the people to come back to God. But there's two things that bother me about this, this passage. And it's, it's okay to talk like that when you talk about the Bible. My, I'm going to resolve in the Bible being the word of God. And so, as I, but what I am doing when I say I have two problems with this is I'm, I'm telling you like I'm wrestling with the text. And so what I think I'm wrestling with is the, one of the two things is God's timing. 
doesn't he seem slow? Like he seems, I mean, he seems so slow. We have these, I mean, we, we have like push notification technology and unfortunately it's informed our theology. We are so used to, um, like, you're, like you've probably texted someone in this room either tonight or another night and they're sitting like two people away. And you're like, you didn't text me back the whole time. We're talking like 30, 40 minutes. Like, we want it like instant. And that has informed our theology. We believe deep down that God is extra slow. Back in the day, I think they thought he was slow. And now we think he's like extra slow. And so in this passage, and he's going to bring judgment, but like when? And when is he going to, when is he going to put the bad people to rest? Um, I think that, uh, I was doing a little homework. Do you know when, uh, do you know when Amazon Prime began two-day shipping? 2005. Who knew? I was shocked. I was like, fact check that. And so I just kept looking and I was like, it was 2005. 2005, $79 a year. Now it's $119 a year. It's not that crazy. Um, but like, 2005, our, our theology got pushed again. Jeff Bezos will send me things. But like, where's God? And so I think that, I think that these people were, were similar in thinking, in thinking, God, when are you gonna show up? And if you haven't had that thought yet, I would say you've either had a charmed, protected life, and I don't mean that in a, in a, in a patronizing way. I would say, man, that is, that is amazing. But just hold on, because there will come a moment when you think, why hasn't God shown up yet? Where is he? And that's what the people are, are doing. That's why they're misbehaving, because where's God been anyway? Um, I got sent a uh, I got sent a, a video, and you know, you, you like speaking of hurrying up. Like normally, when you get a video sent to you, like in your little tiny phone, it's a reel, right? It's like this will be funny. I'll watch this for ten seconds, and I'll laugh, and then I'll like pass it around, and other people will laugh, and it'll be awesome. I got sent a thirty-minute video, and I was like, "Who does that?" <laughs> and so I, and and then it was like, "You should watch this," and I was like, "No." You should just tell me about it. Um, but I did. I watched it. And I'm so glad I did. And, like, I actually sent it to other people. I was like, you've got to watch this. I don't think anybody did. Um, but <clears throat> the video was so good. It was this man who, this priest who, um, who went to... Um, he went to Scotland for a summer to study, and he was going to help pastor this little church. And, uh, and he walked in because he had to like, write his sermon, and he was asking the older priest, like, where's my office? And the priest looked out into the little town, and he said, it's there. And he said, yeah, but I mean, I've got things to do. Like, where do I sit? And he said, how do you know what things to do if you don't know the people that you're doing them for? And he said, over the course of that summer, he began to learn this little expression that we serve a three-mile-an-hour God. And so three miles an hour is about the average pace a person can walk on fairly level ground. Jesus walked most everywhere that he went. We have these unrealistic, un, 
really unnatural cravings for God to show up when I want him to show up. And we're not the only ones. They had the same thing happen. But the other, the other problem that's going on is not only is God a little slow, but the bad people seem to be getting away with a lot, even thriving. I mean, you've heard these stories. Like, I remember when, um, when Steve Jobs was like, was interviewed, one of the first, when he was really starting to make it, um, and he would talk about like how he would do acid. And, uh, and, and like in church, we tell people not to do acid. Um, and so like, you know, he was like, he was like, he would do acid. And when he was like, do you say do acid? I feel like a boomer. I don't know. I don't know what you do. He put acid in his body in drug form. I don't know what it's called. He dropped acid, y'all. But anyway, the point is this. I remember hearing about that and I was thinking, but like he's a bajillionaire. And like his company's so successful. And I can't even get like a college ministry running. And, and then I started hearing about all these other folks, these folks that were, were like hippie children from the 60s and 70s, and now they're owning Fortune 500 companies, and they have multiple houses, and, and so much, they have like the world by the tail, and then and you hear their stories, and basically they're like, yeah, yeah, I just kind of got tired of partying, and like, you know, then I just started making a ton of money, and like everything went right. And you're like, they don't, they're atheists. They don't fear God. And that's part of what's happening in this little book of Malachi. The, the Israelites are looking out and they're seeing all these other people succeed and they're seeing God be really slow at vindicating them, at punishing the wickedness. And so they've kind of said, forget it. What's the point of trying so hard? Those other people are doing fine. It doesn't seem like God's really ever gonna judge and so their faith became really, really blended with that of the world. And, and so this is the judgment passage of what's going to happen. This is God's promise. No, I promise you, I'm coming to you for judgment and I'm gonna judge them too and I'm gonna judge all of you. But what brought this up in the first place? Let's go to the first verse that Jesse read a minute ago. And that is Malachi 2.17. You see, Malachi 2.17 says this. The Lord says, you have wearied me with your words. But you say, well, how, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Do you see, they're asking, they're asking, they're, 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 they're begging God, God, where's your justice and where's your timing? And I think that, that they were, it, it, it's easy for us, like since we have a New Testament and since we have the coming of Jesus, since we have the life of Jesus, the, the willful death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, it's easy for us to look back and just say, you people, you got like God sent prophets to you. Um, you have the whole story of Moses. You have God showing up. Like, what's wrong with you guys? And there's a term I'd like to teach you, or maybe remind you. Some of you probably know this term. Um, I think C.S. Lewis, uh, when he came up with this kind of idea, or at least he he made it more popular. But the idea is um, 
is chronological snobbery. And it's the idea that we look at them and we say, man, the Israelites, they were so, man, they were so problematic. Like just because God didn't show up, like he was going to. I mean, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We know Jesus came. But y'all, we, we do the same kinds of things that, that these people are doing. We wonder, when is God gonna show up? Like, what's, what's the deal with his timing? And we wonder, like, where is his justice? Uh, and so I, I think the, the, the problem with these folks is the same problem with us. When God doesn't show up right when we expect him to, when God doesn't punish the person uh, next to us for doing the wrong things, it almost gives us permission to like get back on the cell phone and look at a bunch of junk that we shouldn't look at. Or like, you know what? Forget it. Let's just get on an app and let's just find somebody and let's just meet up. Or you know what? Um, the other people are like cheating on their expense reports. And so what, what's the big deal? I will too. And the list goes on and on and on. I think one of the big things that the Israelites didn't understand is this overarching theological idea of the, of the character of God. I mentioned this concept a couple of weeks ago, but there's this big, big theological idea that we all need to learn. Like we all need to learn this, and it's called common grace. Common grace is so important because it helps us understand why the world functions like it functions. It helps us understand some of the Steve Jobs things that I was mentioning or, or the, the hippie kids that are now Fortune 500 company owners that don't know anything about God, don't care to know anything about God. Like It helps us to understand why you're, you're trying to do the right thing and trying to follow the Lord, and yet what's the point? Because... You see, common grace, it has three main points, and it was happening then and it happens now. The three main points are this, that God gives favor to all of his creatures. If he makes you, he likes you. Now, this is not saving. This is not saving grace. This does not end up with him forever in eternity. This is not some sort of like neo-universalism. This is just the fact that if God makes it, he likes it. He loves all the people that he made. That's number one in common grace. Number two in common grace is that God does restrain sin. He restrains sin and evil. He may let it exist, but he confines it. I think, I really think that if the Lord didn't exhibit common grace, if this wasn't part of his character, I don't think there would be a human alive in 2023. I think we would have wiped each other out a long time ago if the Lord did not constrain. Think about what if he didn't give us a lifespan? It was good of him to give us a limited number of years to live because we would do some really wrong things. And the third one is this, and that is that bad people can do civic good. And you see this, I don't have scriptures up next to this, but all of this can be supported with scriptures. And so I think the people, they didn't understand this about God, and so it made them really upset when their neighbors who didn't follow their God had good days. And that's like really important for us to understand because they didn't understand this, and they didn't understand 
this idea, but it, it's actually clear in the Bible. Second Peter 3, 9. 2 Peter 3, 9 is a very good example. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. Well, what is his promise? That he's coming again, that he's gonna judge the quick and the dead. He's gonna judge the living and the dead. He's, he's coming again. He's gonna have Malachi 3, 5. That day's happening. It'll happen. He's gonna come and he's gonna have judgment and he's gonna make everything right with the world. That's his promise that he's coming again. He's gonna redeem those that are his. But you know what? He's not slow in doing that. He's not like lazy. He's not, he's not like tired. He says, he says, but the reason he delays that, the reason he is patient towards us is because he wishes that none of us would perish but that all should reach repentance. Sometimes the person that you wish that God would just body slam the reason God hasn't body slammed that person is because sometimes when you break someone's back, it paralyzes them and they're just stuck in that spot. And maybe the Lord is letting them have that moment because maybe that moment is gonna result in the thing that eventually drives them to him. And it's really hard to understand that if we don't understand this concept of common grace that is happening between the lines in this passage. Uh, again, Ecclesiastes um, chapter 8, verse 11, it says, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. That's talking about people who don't know God, but also people who do know God. We don't want to fall into the trap that the Israelites fell into when Malachi was addressing them. The, the, the punishment of God was not being executed speedily, and so it set their hearts towards evil. They shifted roles and began to, to play God in their hearts. I think the, the other thing here is that they believed that their heritage was currency with God. Greg Conley last week was up here and he gave his testimony. He did such a good job. It was, um, it was this, the Halloween testimony. It was awesome. Um, but Greg started his testimony off by saying, my grandfather was a pastor, my father was a pastor, my uncle's a pastor, and I am not. But for a little while in his adolescence, he rode the coattails of those who had gone before him, assuming it was some sort of spiritual currency. And I think because they were God's chosen people, they rode those coattails of, we don't really have to put in the effort because like, we're already in. Just because you come to young adults, and I love that you're here, just because you are a part of a, of a Bible-believing church, and if you're not, come here, we would love to have you. Like, just because you're in those things, that is no currency with God. The currency with God is relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I think we have to ask, like, so do we demand God's justice while practicing injustice? Do we demand God's righteousness while practicing unrighteousness? Do we demand God's timing while we're not waiting on him? And what we see that's happened in Malachi 2.17 are these, like, four big things. They made God tired, Think about what it would take to make God tired. Obviously, that's, that's, like, that's, that's figurative. He doesn't really get tired. He's, um, he's adding some human traits to, him, to, to his description so that we can relate to what he's saying. But he's saying that he's relationally exhausted because they're assuming that their heritage is currency with him. 
He's, they, 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 he, he's weary of them. He's, they're questioning his justice. They're questioning his timing. They don't understand his character with common grace extending to all. And so what we see happen, and hear me on this, this is very important. When the heart shifts to become the heart that says, I have the right to tell God what he ought to be doing or else, we may very well be invoking the judgment of God on us too. This is a transferable principle. And that's how we get Malachi 3.5. They did these things, and so God says, I'm going to draw near to you for judgment. And so let's just look quickly at what happens between these two sets of what they did and what God's response will be. And in Malachi 3, 1 through 4, the Lord says, right before this, he says, you've wearied me. And then he says, but behold, I'm gonna send my messenger. He's gonna prepare the way before me. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And this is such an important verse. So God says, he says, look, I'm gonna send a redeemer. I'm gonna send one who's going to rescue. And it sounds like really good news. And he says, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who, who can stand when he appears? And then he gives two descriptors, and this is of Jesus that he is the refiner's fire and the fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. They will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in my former years. In verse one, behold, I send my messenger, that's John the Baptist, He's gonna prepare the way for the Lord, which is Jesus. And what happens is they're thinking, great, this is gonna be perfect. What they find out is that when Jesus comes, the one that we sing to, the one that we adore, first, they've gotta be able to stand up to his scrutiny, his holiness, his perfection. And I don't know if you've ever thought of Jesus as a, a smelting furnace, like the one that like when you put, when you, when you smelt something, you put like, you put the ore in there and it gets so hot and it has these chemical reactions that the bad stuff, the bad stuff rises up and you scrape it off the top until you're finally left with pure silver or pure gold. That's what he says that he is. He's the refiner's fire. That fuller's soap, uh, the fuller soap would be the equivalent today of, of something that you would use to either tan an animal hide or really strong bleach. And so now they're stuck. They're like, okay, God's going to send judgment. He's gonna, he's gonna, he's, he's gonna send judgment. He's gonna send a messenger. He's gonna send, he's gonna send himself to rescue us, but what's the point? 
We're gonna go from, from bad to worse. We can't, we can't even stand up to him. And so here's what happened when Malachi brings this message. Most of the people said, thanks a lot, Malachi. We'll just, we'll just continue in evil then, I guess. Because who can stand up to him anyway? But there was another group of people and they're given like a really brief mention in this book. But if you have your Bible, look down to the end of this chapter. And what we see in Malachi 3.16 is this. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. They hear this message that the Lord is going to come and he's going he's to bring judgment. And then they hear the description of the refiner and the fuller soap and they think, we want the Lord to come, but how can we ever, how can we ever measure up? How can we pass through the fire? How can, we, how can we recover from the bleach? We're just as doomed as everyone else. And so this really faithful group listening to Malachi pulls off and they're just talking about this. They're debating this. They're figuring out how do we, we, we love the Lord. How do we, how do we be his possession? Those who feared the Lord spoke with one another and the Lord paid attention and he heard them. And it's like the Lord stops what he's doing because he sees the heart not just the obedience and disobedience. He sees the core. He sees the desire. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. And he says, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. And the day when I make up my treasured possession and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him, then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and the evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch." But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And you will tread down the wicked for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. They were exactly right. They could never pass through the fire. They could never be good enough they could never withstand the bleach. And you and I are in the same spot. No matter how good we are, no matter how many Tuesdays, no matter how many Sundays, no matter how many Bible studies, no matter how many of those things, it's still, it's still not enough. And the Lord is giving them this gospel invitation where he says, he says, he doesn't say you can't save yourself, but it's implied. Instead, he says, I'll save them. I'll redeem them. And I love how the gospel is in every book of the Bible. And I love that verse in Malachi 4 where it says that the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And those who receive that healing in his wings will go about. I love that little, like it's, it's, it's like this really playful picture, like calves leaping from the stall. The lightheartedness that comes from being healed by Jesus. The world needs some of that. 
But look, I get it. I get it when it's hard. I, I, I get it that it's hard when you think the Lord is withholding something from you. And so I don't want to just like, I don't want to finish tonight um, without just mentioning this to you just pastorally. I know that some of you are waiting on God to show up. And, he, and, you, and you're praying and you really long for him to show up. Or maybe you've just finished a season where he finally did show up. And don't forget that. Don't forget what it was like because you'll be there again where you just really need the Lord to show up. But most people, when it's time, when, when only God can, can make a way and, and you're begging God to show up, most of the time, I think, it's like, I think it's like this. And I've said this before, but I want to try to demonstrate it for you. I think it's like if you were to walk up to an artist and, and, you, you, and I think this is what the Lord does. Like he, starts to, he starts to go to work. And we walk up and we say, what are you doing? I'm telling you what I need. What are you doing? And so when we see if the Lord has like drawn this little this, whatever this is, if he's drawn this and this is like, he's like, no, 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 I'm working on something for you. Usually we do one of two things when it doesn't make sense and we need an answer from him. We either say, I have no idea what that is, I'm leaving. Or we say, oh, yeah, 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 I see, I see what it is. I see what it is. You were going to do like this. You were going to do like a pumpkin. Like, that's what you were going to do. Thank you, Lord. Now I have my answer. Pumpkin. And, and we make these assumptions about what the Lord was up to. But a few people, and I think you're like the few people, a few people wait around to see what he's going to do. And you don't take matters into your own hands. And you practice justice and kindness and you walk humbly with God in the circumstances that you're planted and you trust he's gonna do something. And so often he does. It's not a guarantee. This is not a health and wealth. You're not all gonna be married with four kids and have a million dollars in your savings account You know, by the time you're 39. Like, it's just not gonna happen. But it is amazing what he so often does when we'll sit and we'll wait. And like, sometimes like, we never really, <clears throat> I mean, we just sometimes never even see it coming. Like, we're like, oh, wonder, wonder what the Lord can do. Wonder if we'll just, if we'll just wait. Maybe he'll, maybe he'll show up and I, I never even saw this, I never even saw this thing coming. I mean, I remember that's been the story so many times in my life, like, Christ's covenant, being here, being with you. I, I never saw the, the Lord doing this incredible work, and I'm so thankful that he has done this amazing work. Because every rose has one. If you know, you know. I mean, am I still connected? Why didn't somebody say something? Am I connected? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, good. All right, good. You're, you're good people. You would say something. 
I think sometimes we, uh, we just, we wonder what is the Lord up to and instead of a pumpkin, it's like, all of a sudden, he does this incredible thing for us. And he makes this artwork come to life. And, and the problem is most people, most people walk off. They walk off before he ever finishes. And they find themselves in a job that they didn't have to go to. They find themselves in a relationship that they thought, well, that's the best that'll happen. I'll just force it. They find themselves in fights with people because they wouldn't, they wouldn't extend the common grace of the Lord. They fight and they fight and they fight because we're not, we're not okay with God being God and his timing being his timing and his way being his way. And it led these folks to ultimately be taken over by multiple nations. It led them to the place that on Jesus' last few days on earth, he wept over them and said, I've longed to gather you as a hen gathers its chicks. But oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, why wouldn't you let me? And the reason is because they saw this beginning of the work of God and they drew assumptions and they drew conclusions and they decided they didn't like what he was up to and so they said, we'll just go do our own thing. I think one of the encouragements in the book of Malachi is to hold on and trust that he's good and he'll show up. This verse, Malachi 4, 2. There's a, a lady um, who, who believed this verse. She's in, she's in the Gospels, and she's a woman who, who saw Jesus in a crowd. And for 12 years, she had an issue of blood. 12 years. And she believed Malachi 4.2, that when the Son of Righteousness would come, he would have healing in his kanaf, is the Hebrew word. Kanaf means wing, but it also means corner. And she believed in the corner of his robe. If it was really the son of righteousness, all I would have to do is touch it. And that woman pushed her way through the crowd because she was one of the few who held on Hope against hope that God would show up. And when she reached out and touched the corner, the wing of the robe of Jesus, immediately power went out of Jesus and he said, who touched me? His disciples said, what are you talking about? There's so many people touching you. He said, no, someone touched me in faith. And he said, woman, your faith has made you well. She didn't make herself well. None of us can pass through the fire 
None of us can truly redeem our situation. None of us can truly grab life by the horns and do what we want. Because it's not our story, it's his story. And so may we be like the faithful at the end of chapter three who pull off to the side and say, Lord, we fear you. We need you. You're the only one who can save us. You're the only one that can pass through the fire for us. You're the only one that has, has endured the bleach and can bleach us white as snow. Let us be your treasured possessions. As you're driving home tonight, I encourage you to listen to all of Will Carlisle's music. But when you finish his music, I encourage you to check out Brooke Ligertwood's number eight album that just came out. And listen to the song, Calvary's Enough. The opening line to that song says this, I resolve to know nothing but you crucified. Somehow in this room right now, it is enough. The weight of the world, too much for the souls of men, but somehow you hold it all upon the cross. You notice in the book of Malachi, the Lord never promises them that he'll strike their enemies down while they can see it. He never promises them that, that, that he's going to show up in their timing. But he promises them Jesus. And I think what we're left with at the end of this book is the question, is he enough? Let's think about that while we sing. Lord, You're so good to us. Your word is so true. You speak so beautifully and clearly to us. Lord, it's easy to get caught up and frustrated and wondering where are you and what are you doing? You could so easily step out of heaven and fix so many things. But Lord, you fixed everything that needed to be fixed if you never do another thing for us because you made us in right standing with you through Jesus. May we be washed in the blood of the lamb. And no matter what is happening in our lives, just like you left the people in Malachi, may you leave us with this thought tonight, Lord. Is Jesus enough? It's in his name I pray.